What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Going Off Track. You're in the studio right now with Jonah, Brad, and Esteban. Uh, I just went to Puerto Rico, so that's what my name is now. You did? Nope. <laughs> You're, you go on a lot of trips, I feel like. Nope. <laughs> the trips I have are putting kids in the car, going to Bed Bath & Beyond, buying something, coming home, finding out it's the wrong size cutting board, but going back to Bed Bath & Beyond, returning it, and not getting the 20% off coupon. Yep, that's it. Part. When I feel uh, heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm a writer at the Gates of Dawn. I take no prisoners. <laughs> so, <laughs> that reference. Who do we have in the podcast today, Steven? Uh, we have a comedian, a producer, a former writer for the WWE, my good friend, Andrew Goldstein, who every one of his friends that are my friends has always said Andrew Goldstein, and he, he's one of those very kind people who just never corrected anyone. Yeah. Which I never know how to feel. But Well, it, but is the spelling different? I don't know. No. Goldstein, Gold, Goldstein. Goldstein. I feel like... Let's ask a Jew. Yeah. <laughs> Jonah. <laughs> I, I feel like when I... If I saw his name spelled out, I would assume it was Goldstein. Okay. Because just growing up with a lot of Steins. Yep. Um, in a super Jewish area. But I feel like it's something you could correct someone with and let, not make them feel bad. But when no. you say Steins, do you mean Steins or do you mean blank Steins? Both. Okay. A lot. The, Goldstein is actually a pretty big one. But then just Stein as a kid, Scott Stein. Then why do we Goyim want to say Goldstein so much? You know why? It's um, it's German. It's, it's the word of Germanic origin, and so it is Stein because you the E just kind of indicates that the I is a long I. So as in Frankenstein or Bierstein, that kind of thing. Oh. And uh, we go to uh, Goldstein because we're pretty much all anti-Semitic. I'm learning. Mm-hmm. That's how I say it. My neurons are uh, reconnecting after years of damage. Uh, I met Andrew through a very good friend of mine um, who's also a writer and uh, just loved the dude. And then we just started seeing each other out and about. And he, he loves the wrestling. And he showed up here wearing a Randy Macho Man Savage t-shirt. Just, yeah. But it didn't look out of place. I couldn't have pulled that off. <laughs> Worked out great. I got to say, as a full-on uh, hater of the wrestling world, I... Think this is a great podcast. Yeah, see, he's an awesome guest. He knows his stuff, and he he, kind of, he breaks it down. So, without further ado, Andrew Goldstein. It's going on track. I mean, podcast one and Earwolf—they're like, they're, they're killing it. Yeah, I, I, I thought Especially of in you. the wrestling world. I, I met some. I was at so I was at this award show in Cleveland that Alternate Press put on. I was working over the weekend, and so many people came up to me, and they were like, I know who you are. I'm into your podcast. Like, so many people I don't know, like, wanted, Did, like, picture. Like, it was really weird. I just guessed I, I just guessed on wrestling podcasts, and if I go to Raw or a pay-per-view, uh, people will be like, hey, aren't you're, you're Goldstein, right? You were great on cheap. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's crazy. It's like, you don't see my face. I don't know, you know, it's just wild. They know the it's tone. Wild. It's wild. Of today's guest, Andrew Goldstein, who who I met as friend and then learned, oh, comedian, oh, wait, knows everything about wrestling and is is a killer TV producer and writer. Uh, I completely forgot until Mr. Andrew walked into the studio here and saw the Woody Award that Rubber Tracks won. He, was, he wrote the Woody Awards. I wrote five... Hello, everybody, by the way. Thank you for having me, Joan and Steven. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I wrote five of the Woody Awards for MTVU. I called myself the Bruce Valanche of the Woody Awards. Mm-hmm. You 
Um, Which is important. I'd have to have my resume in front of me to tell you the years, <laughs> but the, basically the second one, like the real, the first real deal one, and then the, like five consecutive. We we I think when when I you and I first really hung out was at our friend's wedding, and I had this experience of watching what what I'm going to refer to as as a Philly connection, because <laughs> my my wife is from outside of Philadelphia, Andrew's from outside of Philadelphia. And another uh, friend that we were introduced to at the wedding, my wife and I were, was also outside of Philadelphia. So I had to watch for two whole days, three people try to out Philly each other. You, we, went yeah. da- we went down the mall. God. We went down the mall. We went to Franklin Mills. <laughs> and uh, we talked about Eric Lindros. Did you have some Frank soda? We had some Frank's <laughs> Black Cherry Whiskey <laughs> And, uh, you know, how you doing? <laughs> so it was just a lot of Philly accent. It's funny when I moved Drinking to- a lot of water. A lot of water. <laughs> it's funny, when I moved to New York, uh, my first job, I moved here for the NBC Page program, and you know, you're given studio tours all day. Every Like, the first three months of the Page program, all you're doing is you're putting on that outfit, and you're giving studio tours six, seven times a day to random tourists. And more times, people would be like, are you from the South? And I'd be like, no, I'm from Philadelphia. They're like, your accent, you sound like you're from the South, because the Philly accent is go down, mm-hmm. go down the mall, like... How's how you know um, how he's making out? Mm-hmm. Hey, hon. But I but I guess like if you're casually doing it, not trying to do it, it kind of sounds a little southern, which is so weird because Philly is so not the South. Have no. you heard John Worcester? If you remember John Worcester from Super Chunk, he's this he has this. Character. I know Super Chunk. I don't know him. He has this, he does a lot of comedy. He's this character, Philly Boy Roy. That's like oh, the yeah. most exaggerated version <laughs> of a. You should. It's incredible. The only person I've ever seen co-op. <laughs> Philly and try to do it as a comedy sketch was Nick Kroll did a Philly yeah. character on the on Kroll show Pennsylvania did he, he didn't I love Nick but he didn't he didn't he didn't get it perfectly like I was sitting there as a like a uh, little I could work with it but um I made Trish watch it and she went he doesn't he's not yeah, doing it right not, it, and then there was some guy who I guess was one of the writers who was like the assistant at the pawn shop she yeah. went that guy's from Philly she Here's, could tell Anybody, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I don't understand what's the Philly accent, just watch any Jackass or Bam Margera. Yeah. All of those dudes, because they're from Westchester, right outside of Philly, and they all have it. Mm-hmm. They all have it. No. All those yeah. dudes. Like, I used to watch it and cringe, because I, I tried really hard after the Page program to get rid of it. I still dip into it a lot of times, but then I hear it, and it's just a half hour of the Philly accent. Trish said she said, uh, Wooder. Until she was 19. And her friends at Penn State were like, what are you saying? She's like, wait, have some water. What? My roommate in college did that. He was from Lancaster. Yeah. yeah. Well, Lancaster's more uh, west, middle of Pennsylvania. Okay. Lancaster Amish. But they, obviously, because Westchester's out there too, so they, it's mm-hmm. really heavy. Yeah, that's where the Turkey Hill factory is. It is. Turkey it, Hill ice cream. Important. Best cookies and cream ice cream, by the it, way. It's Shout pretty out. damn good ice cream. Send it to the... Um, the studio. Send it. Send it. <laughs> yes, please. If Turkey Hill is listening. Though, <laughs> right. what? And I believe they are. So, Andrew, you one like when when I met you, and I'm like, this dude's really funny, and of course, like, oh, he's a comedian, but it doesn't come off like how comedians are on. You know what I mean? Yeah, we I talk, you just like you naturally kill me and make me laugh. But then we got into this discussion of wrestling, wrestling, and, and I. Like, I loved wrestling growing up, watched a lot of it, all that. And then I learned that, like with Bob Dylan, when I have like 40 Bob Dylan records, I'm just a casual fan. 
you know, and no matter how much wrestling I grew up, got some game stuff. There's just things I don't know. And hearing you talk about it, I love to death because I don't know. It's always fun to talk to people like I don't watch sports, but I like wrestling. Yeah. And they're like, wasn't it fake? And I'm like, look, no, but there's an art to it and all that. And I think you really know the art and you worked there, right? Yeah. 2006, 2007, worked uh, in WWE. But just to take a step back, the first time you and I ever met was going to a wrestling show. That's right, Royal Rumble. Because you and I, you threw a mutual friend, we ended up eating dinner at Brother Jimmy's and going to a wrestling show. And uh, we, you know, I'd always heard of you, and we have tons of mutual friends, but uh, that's when I was just like, oh my God, you work for WWE, tell me stories. The best thing about working there is that I came out of the experience with the greatest stories to tell at the bar ever. <laughs> like, I have like six to seven really amazing stories. But I'm a huge wrestling fan. I, I just did the like research and dated it back. I found the first match I had ever saw that I remember seeing. I did a podcast uh, with the fabulous Matt McCarthy from the Pete Holmes show. He has a wrestling podcast. And they were asking me like my first experiences. And there was this match that I like hazily, vaguely remember is seeing Hulk Hogan on a Saturday morning, which never happened. If you remember watching, I don't know, Jonah, how much, if any. Almost none. None. <laughs> so on Saturday mornings in the 80s, it was like 10 to 11, or 10 to 11, 11 to 12 were two hour-long WWF programs called Superstars and Challenge. And Hulk Hogan was the guy. He was the, he was the Babe Ruth. And he never was on the TV. They would show like videos of him. But you never got to see him wrestle unless you went live or you got your parents to pay for the pay-per-view. But this one Saturday, and I, I, it's just the first match I ever remember seeing, and it was Hulk Hogan versus a jabroni named Rusty Brooks, which was a fat, out-of-shape guy in a like gross singlet. Like, not the singlet they wear today with the, the thighs covered. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the underwear singlet. <laughs> and it had stars and it had, like, red, white, and blue. And he's just a gross guy. And Hulk Hogan beat him in, like, eight you know two minutes but i just be, remember being blown away so somebody of course you say it on a podcast a million people send you the clip that they they find it so anyway i'm rambling but 1986 oh, no. i started watching wrestling and it hooked me immediately and i've just i've never been able to quit it <laughs> i love it i think it's amazing for, for those of you playing the home game uh can you explain like like i'm gonna ask you for cliff notes here sure let's do uh, it Jabroni is? Jabroni is basically the term it comes from jobber. Jobber meaning uh, a guy paid to do the job. Do the job in wrestling means lose. Mm. Put a guy over. Right. So if you're, the top, if you're a top guy, I'm a local, I'm brought in, you beat me in three minutes on TV, makes you look good, and I'm just a body that you, that you use to, to make yourself look good. And put so, in- those, so it's jobber, and then wrestlers started calling people jabronis, which is... Ba- the root word is uh, is jobber. <laughs> the Latin root yeah. of, for wrestling and put and put someone over. Put someone over is uh, so the the office the bookers will say Stephen's pretty hot right now. The audience is really digging him. Let's put him over Jonah. So that means you would win. You would beat Jonah. Never or, happened. But. It would never happen. I'd be a Jonah Brony. <laughs> He'd be a Jonah Brony. Yeah. You could sell. First of all, you could call your fans that. Two T-shirts, and you'd be the biggest fucking star in the world. Let's do this. I got it. It'd be awesome. The Jonah Bronies, <laughs> your fan base, mm-hmm. and uh, let's let's see how much more I can remember. Um, uh, heel and a face. Heel and a face. Heel is a bad guy. Face 
is short for babyface. Babyface, it all comes from carnival speak. So when I worked at WWE, you have to learn a whole different language because you're dealing with all these ex-retired wrestlers that work in the office and work on the writing teams and stuff, and they all speak in carny. Uh, for the like, a lot of their word, a lot of the regular words that you would use in English are substituted with these carny wrestling words. So they'd be like, "Hand me the gimmick," which is any basically a gimmick would be anything, any noun. So it's like, "Hand me the remote control," but it's "Hand me the gimmick." Uh, what U.S. heel and face? So babyface is the good guy. So in carnival speak, babyface would be like the hot, the really good looking guy that would bring people into the mm-hmm. tent, and the heel would be. You know, the bad guy, the the monster, mm-hmm. and then and then they have the heel turn. The heel turn is when a babyface decides to go rogue and go bad and be bad and turn on uh, the fans and turn on his uh, partner. I remember that when Hulk Hogan went to WCW and did that. Well, that's, big heel. that's the biggest heel turn in the history of the business. Yeah, hardcore it came out. And the it, NWO. I'm sure you see. Even if you <clears> don't know wrestling, you I'm sure you know. Hip hop, like rappers, use it all the time. When Le- just now, when LeBron chose to go back home, a million people made the video of uh, they put like LeBron's face <laughs> on like a wrestling heel turn, mm-hmm. and where he hits his partners with the with a chair, and it looks like LeBron's hitting Bosch and Wade with a chair, and like turning and it opens his shirt, and it's the NWL. You were just in Cleveland, Jonah. Was how, was. how what was the attitude? I don't know. I felt like. My, uh, I felt like I was just at this event, and a lot of people weren't from Cleveland, so no one really cared. <laughs> and I care so little about sports. But it was weird. I felt like everyone I met would be like, LeBron, LeBron. And it's like, yeah, people are excited. Also, I learned the Republican convention is coming to Cleveland. Yes. Oh. So, like, people, I think it's like, whatever you think of politics, whatever, it's, like, good for the city, I think, just yeah, to bring people huge, in. Yeah. Little known fact, I, I earlier said my first job was being a page, but my actual first job right out of college, I was a PA at the... Republican National Convention in Philadelphia the summer before I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And I drove a guy, they comp with cement blocks. You know, in Philly, there's the stadium complex, there's mm-hmm. the, the two big ones. And there was cement blocks that, that um, barricaded the whole thing in for security. And then that was like a whole compound with every cable news channel. And I drove a golf cart. And I would just drive talent from one station to the, you know, from mm-hmm. one area to the next. And I was, and I would drive Brit Hume. From Fox News, Britt Hume, if you watch <laughs> SNL, old, da- old Dana Carvey, Britt Hume. I would drive him back and forth from his, uh, for, to and from his hotel. Wow. Me and Britt Hume, homies. Dude. That's my man. So the, so the love of wrestling, is that what got you into comedy and wanting to perform? And then, like, like where did you decide? I don't know if those are related. It's just more of, like, I was just always that kid that was, like, imitating... I guess on the imitation and on the on that scale, yeah, wrestling was like a huge part of me performing in my early years, like in first grade, second grade, just like doing Hulk Hogan impressions and like doing wrestling moves to my friends in the back of the classroom. Like I have specific memories of that. And what moves? I, I, I used to, I had a friend, Doug Lee, and uh, I'm going to text him and tell him to listen when this comes out. <laughs> I, I used to, if there was a substitute teacher, we, I would go in the back of the classroom, put him in the figure four leg lock, and put him in the camel clutch, and put him in the Boston Crab. And we joke about it to this day. It was like the greatest, to this day, I love putting those like submission holds on people, but nobody, let, nobody really lets me do it anymore. Are I they, try to do it to my girlfriend. She's not into it. 
No, she's just the wrong move. But uh, you gotta just keep trying. I think. But I, I was gonna say that the two things are probably like imitating wrestlers and imitating SNL. Like I would do impressions of SNL people's impressions, and I would get mileage out of that with my friends. Now, before you like like in college or before the NBC Page program, were you did you like try your hand at stand up then? I uh, senior year of high school, we had like a the first time I ever got on stage to tell jokes. I uh, senior year of high school, they had like a performance final for a class for like a hu- like a humanities class or whatever, mm-hmm. and I did stand up and I wrote like a routine, and uh, I did it. How many minutes? I guess uh, six, seven. I don't know, five, six. That's a good set. I, I'm trying. I don't. Uh, yeah, it was like basically stuff about school and you know whatever. So that was the first time. And then when I went to college, Philly's a weird city. Like comedy has never has really hit in Philly. Mm-hmm. Like there's one club. It's mostly urban comedy. Besides like Don Myrera, it's like <laughs> the rest is it's very like comedy. It just wasn't like there's not a big improv scene. There's not a big sketch scene. There's mm-hmm. not a big stand up scene in Philly. There's comedians that come out of Philly. There's no so like Kyle Don Marrera is really funny. Don Marrera is a legend. I saw him at the Laugh Factory once, and he was ridiculous. Have you found like Have you guys found that like Philly's a weird? I, all I ever think about with comedy in Philly is that Bill Burr video where he destroys. <laughs> just Google it, folks. It, it's he, incredible. Yeah, and he hits everything that you're supposed to hit about uh, yeah. Philadelphia people. Yeah, I always have to apologize <laughs> like, when I. Uh, because living in New York, being a Philly sports fan, I'll, like it'll come up, and I'll just be like, "Oh, I'm an Eagles fan." They're like, "Oh God," and I'll be like, I'm, "But I'm not a dick, you know." Like I will, I will cheer if Peyton Manning throws a really great touchdown. You know, like I'm not, I'm not a dick, but I've, I know what that is. I've seen it. It's an unheard level of fandom until you've seen it, or say married into a family of people from Philly. Like it's. Even 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 the the fans who are just like yeah I go every once in a while are bonkers. Like my my great aunt is I think I think it's almost fifty years a fifty year Eagles or Eagles Eagles uh, season ticket holder yeah, who they still don't, goes they don't mess around who still goes and and that's tailgates. the band Eagles by the way. <laughs> what she loves Don she Henley. loves Don she <laughs> loves Don Henley. I'm kidding. Uh, but in but with music, I feel like the music scene though in Philly is crazy. Like when I was at, I went to Temple University, like in North Philly, and the like everyone I worked with at the newspaper was in a band or was covering bands or going to going to mm-hmm. shows constantly. Like the scene to me, and I wasn't a part of that, but like I just know like that scene is so huge, and then like comedy just there's just a void. Well, they have a great prom- R five is like the promotion this guy does, Sean, and it, they they set up amazing shows and they they own their own venues in Philly now, yeah. so it's like a great place for bands. There's just and then South Street, I mean, it's like yeah. every bar has live music, yeah. and there's the Electric Factory and all that kind of stuff. So um, and the sandwiches are good. Exactly. Good so then I moved. And then I basically I moved to New York, or I had an internship uh, at Comedy Central, and I lived in New York at NYU, which was like amazing. Like lived in Washington Square, and I used to go to these like terrible open mics and try stuff. But I was still like not. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then when I moved here in two thousand one, two thousand, then I really just started doing the whole bringer thing, and you know, got to a point where I was just like doing it. 
That, that's so hard for me. Like, I feel like when people stop you on the street and like, do you like comedy? I'm always like, I, your job is so hard. I would like want to help you, but I don't want to go see you. Yeah. I hate, I mean, like, did even, you have to do that? Even on the TV level, like go back in the day, being a PA, trying to get people to sign releases. Like, I just don't want to bother people. I have mm-hmm. this like overactive conscience, which is weird because I'm like this extrovert. But then I have this like overactive, like, I just don't want to bother anybody. Dude. Like, We'll get to it later, but I worked on a prank show, and that was just like mentally hell for me because you're <laughs> basically ruining people's day for two years of your life. Let's but anyway, I uh, yes, I had to bark, and I would take all the flyers that the club person would give you, and I would stand on like a corner where nobody could see me, and I'd throw half away, <laughs> and then I would like maybe do it for like ten full minutes, and then I would like hide. So what did you have to do exactly? You would you'd have they would give you a stack of flyers or cards. Okay. And you had like you had to give them all out. Gotcha. To get your stage time, Ugh. there was nothing preventing you from throwing them out and saying you gave them away. But like they would see that people wouldn't come to the show, whatever. But it, it was just awful. And I try, I try not to do that as much. But like I've done it. It's mm-hmm. the worst. I, I feel terrible when they come up to me. Yeah, I'll always take it. Like if someone's handing something out, I'll always take it because I f- just feel bad. I, I will was- say what bothers me the most because I do work in Times Square is like. Some comedians from Comedy Central tonight, Letterman, Comedy Central, and it's like, no, they're not. Yeah. Nobody who's even sniffed the Letterman stage is like, <laughs> coming on your show. Like, don't, I hate that. <laughs> just don't lie. Be I, honest. It's not even about the lie. It's just like, it's just gross to me. Yeah. Now, you, now, because you're a writer as well, and a lot of comedians, you know, are hired to write jokes and do things, but you've, you do a lot of television work. Like like you're a producer as well as a writer and yeah, handling I, and working with people. I got re, I got into um, hosted TV writing, which is a very fine art. I won't yeah. call it an art. It's a very fine skill uh, that not a lot of people focus on. And uh, I kind of just fell into it. And um, whatever, I'll put myself over. I, mm. I got really good at it to a point where like you give me any format, for any live show or any, you know, you know, as live show, I can pretty much write host copy. It's hard to be able to, and when you, and the people that we know that can do it, because we know the same folks, to be able to write host copy for any host and get their voice is a very hard thing to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the game, man. Is, is, we have another one right here in the room, Mr. Jonah Bear. Yeah. Is figuring out that, I mean, I've, at this point I've worked with, we could go back and forth, like every sort of MTV generation host in, in New York City. And, I mean, they're all different. You have to, you know, you have your females and your males and your, like, rock guys and your comedy guys and your... It's just different. Like, Damien Fahey mm-hmm. was just like, just give me bullet points. But, like, another guy, like, I had a guy at Spike who had to write every, you know, every single word. So it's just, it's different. And, like, some people won't say, check it out. And just like little nuances, and you pick that up. And like, I work with Nick Lachey now on VH, on Big Morning Buzz on VH1. And like, um, I it, I found he was the first guy that has zero ner- um, neuroses to him. And I'm like all like I come at every story with like ah, oh, this is my neurotic take on it. But I had to like scale that back because every opinion, every like angle I was giving him, this is more on the producing side because it's more like going through the news, picking stories and being like, all right, Nick, here's six angles you could take on this story. 
But like I come at it with like a well, me personally, I'd be like, ugh, I, you know, neurotic Jew thing, and he has zero of that in him. So I had to like scale, all, like it was a big learning curve for me because I had to like scale all that back and be like, all right, what's the like regular guy take on whatever stories in the regular the, any, really any, fit handsome guy take? Any tips for scaling that back? <laughs> it's, uh, how it's not easy dude you know. know dude trust me cause like he he would like go on a whole rant that's amazing he would go on like a whole rant about like seeing the um the grade flyers in restaurant windows and like go to a place it has a he's out on you know hanging out with a couple and they pick a restaurant so he can't say I don't want to go in there cause they have a B so he has to go in there and he has to eat so I hear that and I'm like Oh, I would like go. I would like. Oh, I don't know. I would uh, maybe uh, just order a salad or something. And, and like, he's just like doesn't. It doesn't register like the the painfulness of being a neurotic Jew in in that kind of situation. I tag it Jew, but like, and everybody's. It was just a weird thing for me, and now we're like great, and I could totally, you know, we're on the same page. But that was like a huge learning curve for me, but. Host writing is, it's a different animal. It's a different beast. And, and I always found like there was, like everybody thought they could do it. Like for a while, MTV would just be like, oh, this guy has a great one man show at UCB. So we hired him as a writer. And then, you know, they would just be like pounding jokes in places that didn't need jokes and stuff. And, you know, trying to put a joke in a toss to commercial. And it's just like, and then like the producer would go through and strike everything out. And it would just be, the copy do you think it's just you know because I've, I've not to hate on ucb people i'm just saying no no that would happen they know how to write for themselves and write a joke and that's different than being able to write host copy which is a lot of what goes on like everything is right down to letterman everything's scripted you know and there are people yeah. who are as awesome as damien because he's so damn good i have so much respect for him that can just bullet point it and go through and and uh Everyone I know who worked with Carson Daly was like he could look at something and memorize it in a second. He was yeah. really, really good at it. But to be able to be on the other side of writing for someone who you've just met and have it sound natural is an incredible skill. And does that come with just doing it over and over again? Yeah, or was that it's a, a muscle? I, there's definitely been situations where like I get in a room and it's like Charlemagne or something and like I'll put in, you know, a, you, you write different, you just write some lingo, you know certain uh you know i don't know how to say it politically correctly but you just write certain things and then most hosts in a nice way will be like oh i would never say that Mm -hmm. i would say it like this and you just have to like train yourself to listen for those things you can't be precious yeah well that's the biggest rule i've ever learned is you don't own any of it Mm -hmm. don't own any of it you could i put the best joke you think in the world in a script and the host will be like i'm not gonna you know like i just with um i'm marlon wayans i did the july 4th concert in philly and i wrote a whole opening monologue for him about how uh city of brotherly love if there if there's anybody that knows about brotherly love it's a wayans brother and a whole bit about like that he's like "Eh, i don't want to do that you just can't own it you you got to kill your babies. That's like the that's the the, the old way to say it. But um, I just say I always tell a host I'm like I don't own any of this. So tell me what works and what doesn't work and and that kind of thing. But you know it was cool. Uh, so I worked on this. Not to bring this back to me, but just as examples of what you're saying. Like I worked on this live thing. It was the first live TV I've ever worked on, and I'm used to writing for print, and I'm not used to seeing people actually read what I wrote. Like you put it out there, and then you like people comment or whatever. But like it was 
incredible, much more stressful. But it was so cool hearing someone say words that you wrote, even if it's not like having a host say what you wrote and hear people like cheer and get excited. Yeah. Like having that instant gratification of like, wow, these people are reacting to something that came out of my brain. I find people who come from print uh, have a bit of an easier transition. Yeah. Because you, you guys work in parameters already. Like somebody will say 500 words to you or right. 8,800 words. Like to me, people will say 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, brain-wise, you're able to be like, all right, well, I know what five... Here it is. I know what... I'm sure you know. You know what 500 words looks like. Right. You don't even need to do the word count on on your computer. You know what 1,700 words looks like. I know what 30 seconds looks like. I know what a minute, what 90 seconds looks like. You know, if somebody says, okay, you have a three-minute open, you got to write. I know, I pretty much know that that's, you know, a page and a half of host copy. And I think that's why print people have, because I've worked with a ton of people who come from magazines and, you know, um, a girl who was a writer on The Buzz, Christina, she um, she came from newspapers and she was seamless. I think that, yeah. That's fascinating. I never thought about that. But one. like script writers, like, like long form script writers, I think they have a tough time because, you know, they're used to writing dialogue mm-hmm. and they're, you know. So sketch people probably it's it's hard. I think it's I think it's hard. And mm-hmm. joke writers, I think, yeah. you know, I'm always just like, all right, hire that guy. Yeah. See if they can do it. That's funny. That's Sometimes funny. I get cynical and I'm become <laughs> a hater, but uh, that's just because you know. We had uh, Mike Lawrence on. Love Mike. And he. I love that dude's brain. Yeah, he's so smart and so quick. I'll tell you a great wrestling related story with him. But well, that's what continue. I want to get into because you did the roast of the Iron Sheik. Yes. And that was all you. You put that whole thing together, wrote it, and I went, hired. I Rosenberg from Hot ninety seven put it together, and uh, he's one of my best friends, and we co-produced it. I wrote all the jokes for the wrestlers who aren't comedians, mm-hmm. and we brought comedians in who did their own stuff. But for, and I wrote for Rosenberg, uh, and um, I had a writing night at my apartment. It's the first time I've ever done something like that, uh, mostly because I was is the first time I was sort of really head writer and i had lawrence come over and a bunch of other guys and mike and i we we just know each other from like being nerds and seeing each other at wrestling shows and comedy shows but i've never really like hung out with him and he's a strange dude anyway in the best sense of the word Mm -hmm. and came to my apartment and we were just like firing off jokes and this i mean his brain works in such an evil like amazingly funny way like i was just like in awe in my part like watching him just come up with the like greatest takes on like we would just name a wrestler and he would just churn it out and i was like i came away from the experience being like i'm so jealous of your brain what was the wrestling story uh well he we he got to meet iron Sheik, and so he so lawrence shows we're in the back of caroline's like in the office and Sheik's just in his wheelchair just hanging meeting people and uh lawrence comes in and i know he's a huge fan i go mike this is do you want to meet the Sheik? he goes yeah so uh mike i, I introduced them and I go, she call him a jabroni because that's like part of the Iron Sheik's shtick. And, uh, but it's so cliche at this point because he calls everybody. He's like, oh, you jabroni, I break your back, make you humble, blah, blah. And he called, he's like, Mike, he, you, he called Mike some kind of like, you, you're a good Jew, jabroni, whatever. <laughs> and Mike, 
he literally had the face of like a chut. He was so flattered and excited. <laughs> like it wasn't even just like, oh, I got the sheik to call me jabroni. Cool, man. No, he was like a kid who had just sort of like Santa said, you've been the best boy. <laughs> like he was, he was glowing. And I was just like, that's the real deal right there. Yeah. When you're that big a fan. Yeah. That's so huge. It so, was wild. So when you, you know, uh, working in TV and then, you know. I really want to hear about the prank show, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, yeah, I want oh, to get man. into that. Like, so you do that and then did the prank show come before writing for WWE? Yes. Okay. And Boiling pr- Points was my, so I was a, a PA everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Mm. And that's another piece of advice I always tell people is just like smile and say yes and Dude. drive the van. Mm-hmm. drive the cube truck. I was just like scared to death. So I PA'd like on anything and everything. Isaac Mizrahi show, like uh, pr- crank anchors. I drove puppets around in a truck. It was just crazy. Whatever, whoever would pay me, I would do it. And I, I ended up getting a PA job on Boiling Points, moved up to AP. Was uh, Morgan Spurlock? Associate producer, no. Was he on Boiling Points? No. Well, show it, maybe. Was that the show where you try to like see how long you yes. can get? Yes. Oh wait, no, this is the one Boy that Lady Gaga was like on. in 2003, 2004 area, and like Billy Merritt, uh, Colton Dunn, who's a writer on Key and Peele now, Allison Becker, who's on Thirty yeah. Rock, like really good, amazing improvisers came through uh, Boiling Points, and so um, uh, yeah. So then, as an AP, I just you know everybody's pitching because it's so hard to find a, a prank idea that actually works so everyone's pitching and i'm pitching and finally getting ideas through the filter getting made into segments finally i was like hey next time i get a segment get, get an idea through the filter can i write it because we had two writers at the time and they were like sure we would love the help so i would like write the script and the scripts were more like choose your own adventure so it would be like um if jonah says Go fuck yourself. You you say um, X or you say what? You know, it was a lot of the, that kind of script, and there was a whole format to it. And so I ended up writing about three to four bits for the second season as an AP, and then I got to produce some as well. And then for the third season, they hired me as a writer, and that was my first writing gig. Amazing. Boiling points ends, and I say to myself, whether I work tomorrow or I work. I don't work for another year. I'm not taking another job unless it's a writing job. And luckily, at the time, MTV was such a the, the place where, like, hey, uh, the next week they were like, hey, a Britney Spears clip special. Do you mind writing it? And that was the first hosted gig that I ever, you know, wrote for. I wrote like VO copy. Was it hard to watch like that stuff? Oh, awful, awful. I had no stomach for it. I'm not even the guy. You do not want me in the room when you're doing a prank phone call because I can't. I would just be like, reveal, reveal. Mm-hmm. Like the second there's any stress in the person's voice, I'm like, I get so uh, antsy. Like I can't even. What was like the craziest thing that happened? Or oh, like, man. We got, did anyone try to like get in fights? Well, or when like, I was a PA, I, I used to have to do the, um, the, I used to have to run after people with the releases. And we pranked uh, two huge, pardon the term, Chelsea boys. And basically kind of accidentally outed them. Uh for I mean it was a you know it's 2003 it wasn't as, as you know as open as it is today so we 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 ran into that a lot where you'd prank a co- uh, two guys or something and then you'd reveal and then they'd be like you go ask them to do the to sign the release they'd be like oh this can't be on TV people don't they and 
But this one time, I was chasing after these guys said no to the release, and my producer was like, "Go get that release." So I'm like chasing after him, chasing after. Him. I'm a little dude. I'm five eight, and yet I'm like a hundred and nothing. And this is like a giant guy. And he, I, he's like, "No, no, stay away from me." And I just keep going, keep going. And he just turned, stop. He just stopped, turned, and like cocked his fist and like, uh, like as if he was going to hit me. And it was just like. I'm going to die. I'm literally <laughs> going to die in this moment. I'm going to be pummeled on the street, like 23rd and 8th. I'm going to be, you know, be pummeled. But uh, it didn't happen. But though that it got heated. Like, drinks thrown in people's faces. And, uh, you know... I used, to, I used to work with Allison, and she told me she did one, and maybe you wrote it, where she was working at a, at a clothing store, and she would go in the changing room with, like, a girl's boyfriend. Yeah. And it's like, Allison was, Becker was the, uh, she was the, uh, sexy girl who would use, like, all of the, a lot of the pranks that she was, that she would star in would be making girlfriends jealous by doing something. Like, we would do yoga and she would be the instructor and the guy would be, you know, stuff like that. But, um, we, we got into a lot of trouble because we pranked, we always found if you pranked out of the demo, if you pranked older people, you'd, You'd be you'd be screwed because they would they would take it way too seriously. So we pranked. Um, we did a thing in Central Park where uh, Missy O'Reilly, who had uh, meat in her pocket, uh, that was just so the dogs would be attracted. But she would go up to people with dogs and be, and she would act as if she'd be like, "Oh, Spot, that's my dog, this is Spot." Oh, and she would call it by a specific name, and the woman would be like, "Oh, okay." Actually, this is my dog. She's like, no, this is my dog. And she would hold up a flyer, like, missing dog. That's my dog. And then the woman would be like, no, it's my dog. Get away from me, crazy woman. And then they would have this argument about how it's her dog. And then Billy Merritt would come up as a park ranger. It's so, so ridiculous. But dog owners are, who are in it, fighting for their dog, aren't thinking logically. Right. And he would come up and be like, what seems to be the problem? And Missy would jump right in and be like, this woman stole my dog. And blah, this is my dog. Look at the flyer. And then Billy would say, basically, the end would be, he would say, uh, well, until we can work this out, I need to take the dog. And the dog owners would go absolutely crazy. Like, do not touch my... They would go crazy. And so this one, and we, it was an older woman who we probably should not have pranked. She sued us. Um, and it was, you know, Howard Stern talked about it. He's oh. like, this show, they're like causing mental anguish and distress. And then, you know, then our show changed a little bit. We had to have security on set. And, yeah. you know, we had to do a lot more setting up the mark, like doing the backstory... The, the we would pre we would produce the segment a lot more where you'd set you'd have girlfriends setting up boyfriends and friends setting yeah, up friends yeah, yeah. as opposed to just random attacks. Were you part of the one that did Lady Gaga? <laughs> no, but that's amazing. We pranked Lady Gaga before she was Lady Gaga when she was just at NYU at an outdoor cafe. Really? Yeah. yeah. John Blit. You can see it on on YouTube. And YouTube. She was, she was snotty as hell then. Yeah, it was amazing. She's just. What's her name? Stephanie. Stephanie Germanata. Stephanie. She's sitting there. Stephanie. And we went back. We looked in the releases, and sure enough, it was her. Yeah, it was like it was all of her information. It's oh, crazy. Cool. She sent her. A card. We uh, we added a, couple, a dude cheating on his wife in Central Park. Allison Becker or uh, Rebecca Johnson, great improviser. She was um, this nerdy girl who would just sit down next to a couple in Central Park and just not leave and just bother them, bother them, become their best friend. And uh, it was this guy in business clothes and this girl and she did the whole bit hilarious reveal 
$100 given, the whole thing. And we go to sign the release. The guy's like, ah, I can't. I can't sign it. We're like, oh, come on. It was so funny. Like, no, it, it won't be that big of a deal. He's like, no, you don't understand. He's like, I'm not supposed to be here. He's like, I'm like, I'm sure your office will be, like, we just yeah. thought, your office will be fine. Your boss will be uh, fine. He's like, no, you don't, you don't understand. I, I'm married. We're like, oh. Oh, you're a dick. <laughs> so there was a lot of, like, you know, fun. So that's one you could forge because he's not going to sue then. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, pranking, I had so much. I mean, it was funny because on one end, I'm making it happen. Like, even sitting in the producing chair was so hard because you're in the ear of the the people doing the pranking and you have to keep it going. But everything in my body is telling me, reveal, reveal. Right, right, right. These people are really upset. And getting the stores to let us do it, getting the restaurants and the stores to let it, like, hey, can we wreak havoc in your business for eight hours? Was I just, I walk into Bully's Deli on on 14th and University or 4th, wherever it is, and, it, and I still, to this day, I think, how did that guy ever let us in his, in his store? Do you think there's some kind of connection between, you know, oh. you're being able to write that and write those kind of um, pranks and things? With like love of wrestling, because you know if you're a wrestling fan, you're you're a Mark, you know. Like oh, right? it's like, so similar, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. the Mark is another wrestling term. It's an old carny term yeah. for the the person they're bringing in the tent who doesn't know that they're mm-hmm. being duped. So a Mark has become a word for the f- wrestling fans, smart fans that think they know everything, think they know what's going on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. You're ah, oh, you're just a Mark. So, um, but de- we called them Marks writing the show. We would say, you know, we got to book Marks. We got to book, you know. What's the connection between wrestling and carnival culture? Like, did wrestling come it out? It came out of that. The strongman, really? strongman competitions and, um, you know, basically like tough man competitions and grappling. And a guy would come out of the audience and say, I can beat that guy. And then, you know, the strongman, then he would beat and people would bet that whole thing. It all comes from the carnival culture, the traveling carnival circus and those, like, those strongmen, those uh, shooters, as they were called, which were, you know... Like, and the first big guy to take off was uh, Gorgeous George? Or- Gorgeous George in terms of the modern day flamboyant robes, music, mm-hmm. you know, arrogant kind of heel personality. But, you know, like, dudes like Luthez and I mean that's getting really nerdy but there were like really huge stars in the in the a- advent of TV wrestling was like the first you know big highly rated programming and it was always it was always that the guys wrestling knew how it was going to end and it was how they always portrayed it I love that always it's uh, yeah all the 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 finish was always predetermined mm-hmm. there's like r- few uh instances in uh wrestling history where people have gone rogue how do you react when people like i feel like it's really annoying when people are like like everyone knows that it's planned but i feel like when you tell people they're super into wrestling or they're like don't you know it's fake or like does that it's because i feel like people act like it doesn't it it doesn't make it legitimate or something well it's such a cheap easy thing to say but it's not yeah it's predetermined but like i've seen firsthand that these dudes they're really hitting. I mean, they they they're, they know how to land, and they they're protecting each other when they do it. But they're really hitting each other. You, you think when a dude jumps off the top rope onto another guy, that there isn't you know contact? Like it, the 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 easiest analogy that you can always say is just like, well, you know, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't really the Terminator, but you like that movie. You know, it's it's all it's pretty much the same. I always say it's like synchronized swimming. 
because it's all underwater. It yeah, it's all underwater. It's a it's it, there's choreography to it, mm-hmm. and especially now everything's very planned out. But how many guys still? How many guys like still like like improv? Like, like that's the wrong word, but like how how many guys still call it in the ring? Call it in the ring is yeah, that's like the old school guys would just like not talk before the match and then just get out there and the bad the bad guy the heel usually calls the match like give me this give me that give me this give me this. I, I, you wa- know. I watched not many it's kind really? of becoming a lost art but the older guys you know they they will call the whole match like cena now is john cena now is like the top guy i'm sure he just calls everything in the ring i saw triple h once um i was watching raw and he was wrestling and i guess there was a mic was too close to the oh, ring yeah. And I just heard him say, you know, he was doing the uh, Irish whip, and he just went, uh, high knee. Yeah. And I and he heard it, and I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And well, I the, loved the, it. The best way to have the whole um, universe shattered for you is if, if you go live, you really can figure it out. Like, I remember being, like, 10 or 11, and my dad took me to the Spectrum, and I was just like, wait a second. But I was a kid, and I still loved it, and I didn't care, because you're already hooked. It's already, it's kind of like, it's like heroin. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of realize, all right, this is really bad for me, but I'm already hooked, so let's let's keep doing it. It's like wrestling. It's like, oh, wait a second. That punch didn't come anywhere close to his face. But I love this. This is mm-hmm. so cool. It makes me feel amazing. But um, if you watch wrestling with me... I I can I'm always just like okay see they just put their heads together he just told him his ne- mm-hmm. the next like three he'll like give me a you know but you as a diehard fan what do you look for like what do you like what wows you what do you want to see I always talk about it on wrestling podcasts wrestling is the only, wrestling has on a on a um, frequent level wrestling produces what. Uh, the mainstream sports ha- you have to wait for in mainstream. I didn't say that very well, but w- what I'm saying is like you watch a whole season of football, maybe you'll get like three to four or five holy shit moments. Wrestling is in the business of producing those on a nightly basis. So you get that moment where you're just like, where your mouth drops open. Like that amazing play that that just won, you know, that amazing home run in the bottom of the ninth happens, you know, once or twice a season, you get that pretty much any time you go to a wrestling show. At some point, somebody's going to do something that makes you say, holy shit. You you were on board, I think you told me this from, from the very beginning, with CM Punk. Like yeah. You saw him way back well, I when. was there because uh, CM Punk, uh, he, because WWE had just bought ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, and they made their own version, and CM Punk was like the, the he was going to be the new guy that they put in. So I was there right when all that was starting when CM Punk debuted, basically. And I was I was there to watch them be like, this guy is nothing. I just <laughs> met him. He was he He's a huge punk music, fan, yeah, music he, fan. He did the pre-show with this girl Juliet Sims. Yeah, she was in the He was just at that uh, yeah, uh, award show cuz there there's a big video of him on the red carpet talking about his wrestling future and, and he's he, like I'm never ever ever going back. He inducted Billy Corgan at the award show. Who Huge wrestling fan. Yeah, he, he has his own. Um, yeah, who knew? Federation. In I would have liked Smashing Pumpkins a lot more when I was a kid if I knew. Yeah, yeah he's I'm, big into it. And him. what was who's the other guy? Bob Mold or something? Where? Oh, Bob Mold. He wrote. Bob for Mold WCW. wrote. For, yeah, wrote for. And, and um, yeah, I found that crazy. 
Have you read his book, his no. biography? It's I really interesting. To. It's Does, really is good. There, are there chapters on that? Yes. Fuck. Yeah, you that. should read it. It's really cool. <laughs> so good. He's awesome. I but, love that Foo Fighters track on the last album that Bob sings on. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, he. And it's interesting. They did a, there's a documentary on them. Because the doc that was on VH1. Yeah, and they don't have the, um, they didn't have the lyrics. So they go in and they just, they, they just sing gibberish. It. And then he writes the lyric, which yeah. I never knew. That's pretty fascinating. So wait, so CM, is CM Punk done? Punk left. Uh-huh. Punk got fed up and was, you know, like, I'm a, he's. You think that's a publicity thing? You think it's legit? No, it's. It's legit. I mean, he's been away for almost, you know, a year. What makes now. someone fed up? He, this, I mean, the schedule and the politics. It's a shark-infested water over there. I mean, I was way too young and naive and not ready for when I got the job. I always say I got the job way too early because now if I got the job, I'd be able to produce the talent and not be sort of intimidated. What, what was your job? I was a creative writer, and then you're just thrown into producing backstage segments. But I came in, like, off of one writing job. You know, I got it basically right after Boiling Points and a couple, like, you know, clip specials for MTV and maybe a season of Web Junk. No, not even. I got Web Junk after. No, I got Web Junk. I I had Web Junk, and then I went to WWE because Patrice O'Neill had written for WWE. Again, he had done, like, 30 like 15 weeks uh and he told me about it but anyway uh yeah i was a writer and you're on the sk- uh, you work literally seven days a week you must have been fucking stoked it, must have been it like was a dream i mean you're in a different city every week you're flying on vince mcmahon's jet uh to each city you're driving overnight with you with your buds and i mean like my first week on the road i was in a limo with dusty Rhodes and paul Heyman. it was like insane and like they have no choice but to answer your questions because you're in the car. So I was just like marking out, as they say, which is yeah. just like having that crazy fan moment. But CM Punk, he's an interesting dude because he has that punk personality of like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I, I'm going to, I if I believe in something, I'm not going to let you forget about my opinion. Uh, and that doesn't really go well in the Vince McMahon sort of world so they, was, that, was that famous promo that he did real like that was that the content of it was but i i think he kayfabes a lot now kayfabe is a, another huge carny term kayfabe was the the internal um code that the carny people w- would talk about that everything's fixed mm-hmm. so then kayfabe became the wrestling thing if you have to keep kayfabe heels can't travel with baby faces and you can't if you go into a restaurant and you're the guy you're wrestling that night is sitting at the di- at the counter you got to leave you got to stay in separate mean? hotels what, what's, what's the like where does the terminology come from i'd have i i used to know yeah i have to look it up that's a the weird origins one. of it but yeah kayfabe is like the whole so he i think so when he gets interviewed he'll still keep kayfabe and be like oh yeah i i, I that was all off the cuff but no it's written by writers yeah. vince mcmahon basically was like i'm gonna give you 20 minutes at the end of the show and you you can you pretty much rail into me and just say whatever you want I love that. That's just me being cynical, but that pipe bomb promo is amazing. But he is like the like that whole punk personality in its natural real form is not welcomed in the world of wrestling where everything's controlled. Right. So he just was like oil to their, you know, water. And so um and he had a great run being that guy and uh once they realized like okay, we need to take advantage that this guy is like a dick in terms of like he, he that that's his personality like let's take advantage of that not to mention he's incredible in the ring and incredible on in the microphone which mm-hmm. are the skills you need so 
I mean, he set the world on fire, but then he just got burnt out, and they where they wanted to take his character he wasn't comfortable with, and his body was broken down, and I think he was just like, look, Shawn Michaels took three years off. Yeah, yeah. In the middle of his thing. You know, Stone Cold took his ball and went home and wasn't happy with how they were going to book him. And In the no, middle of Stone Cold being the biggest wrestler in the world ever of all time, he left. Is a lot, is so the, it happens a lot. Is, is a lot of that frustration or is it physical? Or is it both? I think it's both. It's the schedule, it's the off, it's the politics, and it's the, it's the wear and tear on your body. I mean, I mean, he's, I, I think he's had like, he talks about it. His hips messed up. His yeah. back's messed up. All these guys. Daniel Bryan, who's another guy who yeah. came from the indies like CM Punk, broke his, has a neck that he may not ever, ever, ever be able to wrestle again. You walk backstage, all the agents who are former wrestlers, they all have a zipper down the back of their neck. It's oh, like this. It's interesting. It seems there is, it is so dark. Like, I feel like that oh. level to it, like that. What's that documentary, Jake the Snake? Yeah. Oh, well, beyond, the the rest, beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat. And there's wrestling with shadows. And, yeah. and even that, the, that Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler, yeah, the wrestler. like I mean, all that stuff, it's like, it seems like there's a real dark side to I it. I watched that movie and I was like, this is a shoot, which is another wrestling term. Shoot is, this is for real. Mm-hmm. As a work is, we're working the audience. This is work. That's shoot, man. That, that's, that's, that scene in The Wrestler where he's at the autograph signing and, they, and it was amazing camera work and they go on the bottom of the table and you see the guy with the catheter and you see the guy with the, you know, the, the, the purple leg. and everything. That's true, man. These dudes, are, their bodies are in terrible, terrible shape. And then when they do it, they get, I mean, there's no health insurance. They have to no. pay for everything themselves. You know? The best was, you know, Dusty Rhodes legend of the 80s like yeah pro, pro, american dream american dream but he was you know in the nwa whatever he's great he was like the best part of working there like getting to actually know him and work with him and i'm a huge fan but he would he would tell us stories about you know when he was at the top 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 of being the top guy in the in the nwa he uh he's like you know i'd be handed a manila envelope with two hundred fifty thousand dollars just from the gate and he's like at that time i didn't take 10% or 20% of that and put it under my mattress for taxes. I went out and I spent it, you know, because there was no, there was nobody saying like, here, so sign this W9. It was, it's, right. it's the Wild West, dude. Now you said, you know, how the podcast, you got some good wrestling stories. What's your favorite? The, it, the best story I have is best told with visuals, uh, but I can, I can tell it on, uh, in the audio version, but you know who Ric Flair is? Yes. Even without your... Yes, I know Ric Flair Ric Flair, legend. He's a little not with it today. His, his, his eggs are a little scrambled now, but uh, he, is, he was the guy. Besides, like Hogan in the WWF, there was Ric Flair in the NWA. Mm-hmm. He had the robes. He was, you know, talked to... He was the... Um, basically, if you watch Eastbound and Down, the Will Ferrell character, that, that's based off of Ric Flair. The, the flamboyance and the, the false bravado and the my watch cost more than your life. Like, all kinds of things. To be the man, you got to beat the man. The bleach blonde hair, the whole thing. And um, so, I, by far, he's my number one. The, my number He's my wrestling idol he invented a move right the chop wasn't that him that he well he didn't that? invent it but that's his that's, that's his. now if anybody does the chop in the wrestling ring the all the whole arena goes woo oh wow because it's just become ubiquitous with a sidebar uh, my i won wrestling story and it's so easy i had interviewed chris jericho once and he was going to do a move he is great and um we we're like oh, let's do a show a wrestling movie and he's like all right you're gonna do it i'm gonna do a chop thinking i didn't know what it was and i went oh are you yeah. crap Okay, 
and hauled off and just slapped the I got shot shit by out J- of me. I got shot by JBL, Bradshaw, uh. Uh, on my bare chest as sort of an initiation, like the first night I went drinking with the wrestlers, and it was like full-on red handprint uh. on my chest for like a week. But anyway, Ric Flair. Uh. So at the time, 2006, I'll, I'll tell this quick. 2006, I'm a writer. He's involved in a storyline with the wrestler Edge, who is now an actor because... Mm broke his neck uh and had to retire adam copeland and uh randy orton who is still active and they were called rated rko they they were put together as a tag team and uh they were doing a bit where and rick flair was on the babyface side and they were doing a thing where edge was going to go out to the ring cut a promo which was like talk to the audience talk to his his opponents like talk some shit basically and he would say talk all this stuff about rick flair and then he's like you know what? My backstage correspondent caught up with Rick. Let's go. Let you know. Let's go to my backstage correspondent, Randy Orton. Like real tongue in cheek. Let's go. And he was supposed to. They were supposed to cut backstage to Randy Orton standing over a bloody and beaten Ric Flair. Now the viewer in this scenario never sees what happened to Ric Flair. They just see that Randy Orton is standing over a bloody and prone, you know, Flair. So if you think about that logically, Flair has to get himself bloody having not actually engaged in any sort of contact. And I'm the producer slash writer on this bit. Uh, so I go up to him and I was like, um, Mr. Flair, this is what we have to do. And I show him the script. He's like, okay, he's like, five minutes before we go, it goes live, just tell me. And I go, okay. Uh, so we're like five minutes before Edge, Edge is going to go out to the ring to do the thing. And Flair literally just goes, okay. And he just starts... He so he has a razor blade, like little razor blades cut and stuffed into the tape on his fingers. Gigging. Yeah. And so he I go, Mr. Flair, five minutes, and he goes, Okay. And he just takes his middle finger, which has tape on it and razor blades in it, and he just literally as as if I just I'm sitting here talking to you, he just starts scratching his head. The blood starts coming because his his head his it's paper thin now his skin because he's been broken open so many times starts starts just swiping at his head blood starts pouring and then he just starts ultimate warrior like to squeeze it out of him and his face is just getting covered with blood and then i was like uh and i'm watching this like a marking the fuck out and b like having to be like okay a minute and a half edge edge is in there he's doing his thing and then flair goes to randy orton he goes okay randy open me the hard way and flair does a full um, he he uh, flat fa- uh, flat back like right on the concrete floor for no reason just down on the ground and Randy gets on top of him no cameras are rolling this is not for television this is just to get him bloody R- Randy gets on top of him and starts punching him in the head to open up the wound and to have the blood on his tape so it looks like Randy did it and I was like okay 10 9 and then Flair lays there in a bloody mess Randy stands up you know, give him the microphone. Eight, seven, six, five. All right, you're on. And Randy just does his thing. Blah blah blah. Does the promo. Drags Ric Flair out through the curtain to the ring. Scuffle, scuffle, scuffle. They go to commercial. Ric Flair comes back through the curtain. Bloody mess. And he comes up to me and he says, "How was that? How was that, kid?" And I was just like, "Perfect." <laughs> but I just have to reiterate: he completely bloodied himself, not for a match. Just for a little bit, like a three-minute vignette where you don't even see him getting bloody. He did it to himself. It was remarkable. 
And it's better if you could see me imitate the whole thing because like, I, I take but, you through it. But. Like the whole the whole gigging thing. Like I mean, if you've seen the wrestler, you've seen that now. But it, like like you don't need to do that. You can fake it. But what do they call that when you fake it? When you juicing, do, juicing. Okay, but like. Is it are Getting you the juice? Are you more respected if you raise well, yourself? Well, nowadays, most. I mean, nowadays it's like a faux pas if if anybody gets open the hard way. Like the you know if there's no blood really in wrestling anymore. At least in WWE, like they're very like the the referees will put plastic gloves on. They'll stop the match. Like it's a whole you know. But back in the day, yeah, it was like a show of you know it was a. It seen it was a thing. And didn't TNA did. just like ban headshots, like with the chair? Yeah, they were like the last ones because they were still doing them. But after the Mick Foley uh, documentary, they they kind of started oh, relaxing. The Rock on hit them. him like six times. And then after Ben Chris Benoit tragedy, it's like you know we got to protect these guys' heads as best we can. Do you think you think Chris Benoit? I think it was his head. It wasn't like. Yeah, I think his I think his eggs were scrambled, man. Yeah, you don't realize you. Don't, that's the thing that always bothered me is when. I just happened to be watching, and and uh, I got back into wrestling when I was a substitute teacher in California because the kids were just loving it. So I was like, I'll watch it again, you know? What year is this? What? Uh, this was probably 98, 99. So like the height yeah. of the Attitude Era. And, I, and I remember watching the first like big, I think, uh, ladder match, and it was Edge and Christian versus the Hardy Boys. And I couldn't yeah. believe that a match like that was just not on a pay-per-view. It was well, so that's, insane. Yeah. And that's the thing is you do it on the pay-per-view and then it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Let's book it on every, you know, and then you start. Wrestlers nowadays, they talk about um, your bump card. Like you take a bump as any time you hit the mat and it's like you've, you don't fill up your bump card so quickly because you only have so many in you. Because they always say it's like getting hit by a car every time you take a bump and those dudes are flying off ladders and landing you know 20 feet and so those ladder matches are things of legend between the hardys the dudleys and the uh, and edgy christian and those things took years off all their careers and you see edge he's retired christian body's broken he barely wrestles anymore jeff hardy's a machine i don't know how he does it but a lot of you know uh drugs artificial reasons why he's still able to do it matt hardy the dudleys are just you know machines too but like the yeah it's crazy it's it's really really crazy i mean it's like ma it's like stage diving but higher and landing on the ground not or landing on people and as and as the writer for that because is it just you as the writer or well any physicality that's why you have the former wrestlers on the writing team so if you have like the bit with randy and edge and rick flair so any of the all the physicality there was a there was an agent with me a former wrestler who uh, Bruce Pritchard, who played Brother Love, so oh, yeah. he kind of went through um, how that whole thing was going to work. But in terms of the content and the creative content of the bit, that all came down to me and produce and you know producing the town ta- and telling Edge what he needed to say in the ring to throw to Randy and Randy standing over Flair, the whole thing. How many old school guys are, are still like on the payroll and still do a lot? Well, stuff? now they have a thing called Legends contract, so uh, like a lot of you know. A lot of dudes get a paycheck just to make like public appearances and stuff. But working day to day, there's a whole fleet of like when I was there, it was like Ricky Steamboat <sighs> is backstage. It's like everything you would imagine. It's like Ricky Steamboat's backstage, Sergeant Slaughter is backstage, Dusty Rhodes, uh, Paul Heyman. You know, like it was, it was awesome. Was Paul Heyman a wrestler? No, but he's like you know wrestling evil genius. And he's got an eye though, right? 
Yeah, I mean, he just cut what they're calling like the be- the best promo since Punk's promo on Monday night. They closed the show with just him talking, putting Brock over. Really, Brock Lesnar. Anyway, we're getting into some really nerdy shit. I love it. So this is, this I, is uh, we had it. I apologize, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just a big no. old nerd, and I love it. And I'm wearing a Randy Macho Man Savage t-shirt for y'all today. Did you ever, did you ever meet him? I didn't, sadly. I, I He came by Fuse years ago to promote his rap album, not yeah, a high I, point. I got an autograph poster for that when it came out. Dude. Really? Yeah. He, I did got, you meet him? No, but he sent it to me. I was working at a magazine. So cool. I mean, that was just like the, what was he thinking? I don't know, but I interviewed him, and I was the whole time I'm just like grinning from here. They had, uh, for a while, Fuse, since they were partnered up with The Garden, there was a, a WWE rep, and and my wife was the yeah, person. Yeah, would just they would. That's what Fuse was always like a huge support. I remember during the Sauce days. Yeah. I didn't work on it, but you know, all my friends were the writers, yeah. and they the the wrestlers were like a huge Mysterio part of. Mysterio was there. Batista yeah. came by. He came by. It was like there's the classic MTV story in the studio about. Uh, during the Carson days on TRL, and they had Diamond Dallas Page and a bunch of the WCW guys on, and uh, they basically pranked Carson Daly and Diamond Dallas Page, like flipped out in the middle of the live hit and picked up a chair and hit whoever he was with, like right in front of Carson. And Carson freaked out because he thought it was <laughs> he thought it was legit. <laughs> That's that story's been told to me. I didn't witness it, but that story's been told to me by many a MTV you know lifer. DDP now of DDP Yoga. He's a yoga. That's what I hear. And he's like saving lives. Yeah. Hey, whatever whatever form of yoga you do, it's got great. Scott that's Hall a, and Jake the Snake. And yeah, it's amazing. Living in his house, it's good stuff. It's good to stretch. What um uh, uh if you were a wrestler, Stephen, uh and you're a big music guy, what would you use for your ring entrance? Oh man, that's that's. Let's talk ring entrance music. That's a, tough a lot of bands get in there. Yeah, yeah, I know. For years, it was like Drowning Pool was all over. Drowning Pool, Rev Theory, it gets yeah, a lot of uh, love. A lot of stuff. Um, I feel like yours would be something incredibly obscure. No, and I, and I, th- I think this is fitting. See if you back me up on this, John. Okay. Um, uh, Revolution Mother. The Mike Mike V. Like his band. No. No idea what you're talking oh, about. Oh, God. See. He goes, you're going to be really obscure. And you go, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Damn it. Damn it. I've never heard like, of. Really see, obscure. I thought you were going to say like Metallica or something. No, I wouldn't do Metallica. I would do Anthrax, though. Yeah. Anthrax, I would pick. Uh, like maybe I Am The Law. Like, Hunt, you know, Triple H had, has used three uh, Motorhead songs. Yeah. He's like co-opted Motorhead. Is he cool? I want him to be cool because I like he him is, a lot. He is, but he's got that like awful, arrogant side to yeah. him. Yeah. But now he's like corporate, so he, I think he has he's he's doing a great job. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Yeah. He's just there's a lot of you know. I've just always he takes it really seriously. I've just always dug him. You know what I mean yeah. as a wrestler. And I remember watching the match where it was like his thigh mm-hmm. split in half, and he kept yeah. going. Like I just think he he just kind of epitomizes like a lifer to me. And I just I've always dug him. The Road Warriors used to back when I was a kid, and I would watch it. The Road Warriors used to come out to Iron Man by um, back when there was no rights and clearances. They would come out to Iron Man by uh, uh, Black, Black Sabbath. Black Sabbath, which was that's a good that's one. Good. That was awesome. I mean that that's probably the best one. I'm surprised there hasn't been a really like 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 an emo heel with someone coming out to like you know what people would consider a stereotypical emo song well like rosenberg and i we something. always talk about that hip-hop has never really been done correctly in wrestling yet mm-hmm. they've tried it so many times like cena did it with the with the with the uh freestyles yeah. and they've had some really cringeworthy like semi-racist 
you know gimmicks that they've given some some people and uh like uh, Master P had a whole thing in WWE. Wasn't WCW. ICP wrestling? ICP, they're really big into wrestling. Yeah. I worked on the ICP Theater, which was uh, oh, infused yeah. last summer. That's I did right. That. I wrote a bunch of stuff for them. Got to meet Greg the Hammer Valentine, what? who was uh, a set piece for them. Holy shit. He was like their bouncer. But anyway, I'm trying to think of... Um, Master of the figure four. Yeah, so lately, hip-hop has never been... Like, rock has definitely been done and done okay mm-hmm. in country. But like hip hop, they've never. There's just not that sensibility backstage. Really, not even Slam by Onyx. You think that'd be it? You think you yeah. would think it'd be a great song. Then I then I choose it as mine. Slam by Onyx. Good choice. But dudes like Action Bronson are like are like sampling Ric Flair promos and putting it in their songs. And um, there's a bunch of other guys. Like wrestling's huge in the hip hop culture. That's why it's so weird to me that like hip hop has never been done correctly. And my On favorite the, thing about wrestling is outside of going to see the Beastie Boys and outside of sports, it's the most multicultural, diverse crowd you'll ever see. Yeah. I took my uh, my girlfriend to WrestleMania this year. We went to, uh, she, she's a great one because she went to New Orleans and went to WrestleMania 30 with me. And it was a double date. It was Rosenberg and his wife and me and uh, me and my girl. And um, she said the same thing. She's like, I can't, I just can't believe like every kind of person is in this arena right now. Mm-hmm. It's a giant Benetton ad, and it's it's <laughs> funny. Everyone is there for the same reason. They know what's going on, and it's it's a cool, organized, fun There's event. a lot of crossover between the... I mean, look, Jericho basically does the same thing, but then he leaves and goes and does his band, and then, you know, the travel is the same. I don't think the, the nightly basis that rest, you know, wrestling is 365 days. Like, at least bands take, you know, off in between albums. No, wrestlers are the, they're they're literally right. the hardest group and hard, hardest working people in show business yeah it's wild it's amazing it's wild dude wild has been having you here thank you for hanging out thank and, you so and, much <laughs> we, we lose jonah to peeing but thank you jonah thank you steven i hope i wasn't too nerdy oh my god this is perfect Ladies and gentlemen, if you are not into wrestling right now after listening to that wonderful interview with If you're not Goldstein, wrestling right now. If you're, if you're, you're actually, not in a headlock. If you're not or, on top of a turnbuckle at the moment. You know, actually, I had to stop watching wrestling because of my children because all of a sudden they started doing yes. the headlock stuff. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Sounds cool. But I did take a video of it and it was kind of obnoxious. I'll show it before their prom because they were both literally in jeans, shirtless. <laughs> two little, you know, not even two-year-old girls just attacking each other. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it is funny when two-year-old girls do it. My it, point. <laughs> <laughs> People like Andrew who, who like something so much, it's kind of infectious. And it, make, it I don't know, just a whole new... He watches matches the way I like to watch matches, which is like, how are they going to wow me again? Not unlike listening to bands all the time. Like, show me something. I'm familiar with this. Show me something different or, or make it work. Touche. And that's the way I like watching... Uh, the wrestling, which is cool. And by the way, and what we didn't get into, which I love to talk to him about is like, like local wrestling circuits, you know, not the backyard wrestling. Well, backyard stuff is dangerous. Please don't do it. Kids, (laughs) your kids listening because there's no one watching, but like the local circuits, I've been to a couple of them. They're awesome. They're a lot of fun to watch. They're really, really cool. Cause you, again, you watch, like Andrew said, you can be like, oh wow, they didn't even come near connecting. That's amazing. You know? (laughs) So you want to watch the guys who make it look like they're connecting, but then they'll, you know, I saw a guy like, dive off a ring outside in a parking lot and land on another dude and then slam a guy into a wall 
and he didn't sell it well at all, but it was still great to watch. I was like, he could, you keep the jump. That's gravity. He had to sell that, but slamming into the wall just didn't work at all. Dude, I still, I still think backyard wrestling's cool, but dangerous. Don't do it. Yes, but watch the videos, maybe <laughs> of people like jumping off their roofs. You'll like, see the reasons tables. why not to yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah, remember that was a big thing. Yeah, it was huge. It felt like that was like when I was in college. Like people were really into doing that. Yeah, if you if you really want to watch the hardcore stuff, watch the Japanese wrestling. I've never seen that. I just, I just. I ruined, guess everything Japanese is more hardcore. I just ruined your weekend. <laughs> yeah, what you're gonna watch on YouTube? Um, They're just like, oh no, this is real barbed wire. We're not playing around. <laughs> this is crazy. I'll be at Saint Vitus performing with the United Nations, which will also be very violent and crazy. Yeah, yes. I'll and be back by the bar. This will have already happened by the time you hear this. So, so please watch the bootleg YouTube video of United Nations. Watch a bootleg YouTube video um, and check out wrestling. In general, actually, uh, uh, Andrew Goldstein is on a whole bunch of great wrestling podcasts. He's called in to speak a lot about it because he knows his stuff so well. Check him out and some other ones. And if you like this podcast, check out our podcast we did with Adam Vast from La Dispute a few months ago, where we talked also a lot about wrestling. Damn it! Because um, yeah, like I feel like some people probably are like, "Oh, this is about wrestling. This is going to be boring." Not necessarily boring even if you don't care about wrestling. That's right. Yeah, follow true that. that. If you're going to follow us, follow us on Twitter. Go to the Facebook. Go to our website. Check us out. Thank you for listening. Thank you for emailing. Thank you for tweeting. All right, we'll see you <laughs> next week. <laughs>